is Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. I'm your host, Marjorie Frymouth, and I am sitting here in my third week of semi-lockdown in Taipei. Um, This is the first podcast I've been recording since uh, our COVID situation changed, which I... um, you know, I released that COVID episode as a, a bonus first episode because everything changed so fast. Um, yeah, it's really weird. I feel like I've consistently had the opposite experience from my friends and family in the States. I mean, when things were really bad there and everything was, you know, shut down, I was just living my best life here in Taipei, like, you know, wearing a mask when I needed to. But other than that, we were you know, we were totally normal and safe and everything. And now that vaccines are really rolling out, everyone I know is vaccinated, things are opening up, like life is returning to normal. People are anticipating social events and all of that. And here I am like, well, pandemic's finally hit. And now I get to experience um, everything that everyone else went through for the the past year. So this is the perfect time to talk about travel because I really need to indulge in some wanderlust and, you know, remember what it was like to be on the road. And I'm just really excited about what we're talking about today, which is the huge topic of solo female travel, that category. Um, you know, this is something that is a huge part of my life. I'm really passionate about because I love traveling with other people. I think that's really special too when you get to share experiences with another person and then you have those memories that you can reminisce about together. But a lot of my travel I've done by myself and I really love traveling by myself. Um, I think one of the biggest things, which we'll talk about a bit later, is just you can do whatever you want when you're by yourself. You don't have to take anyone else's preferences into consideration. Um, And you just, you grow so much in terms of confidence and, you know, faith in your own capabilities and things like that, that I think it's something that, you know, definitely every woman traveler should experience. I mean, I think every, everybody should experience travel and traveling by themselves, Uh, for sure. So we're going to get into, um, you know, the different countries where it's recommended um, and, you know, the do's and don'ts and tips and tricks and all of that. I also have some uh, recommendations and sort of stories from friends and fellow travelers and travel bloggers and all of that, you know, just to see what different types of people had to say about about traveling by themselves and there were some definite themes um so we'll get to that at the end so i do want to say that i wish that solo female travel as a topic i wish that it didn't necessarily have to be its own topic it could just be lumped in with travel uh but it is true that you know women have different experiences in different countries and it is something that um we can categorize and talk about and prepare for and we have to take different precautions than men or you know when you're traveling in groups and things like that and i also want to say that i don't want to set up a gender binary here i you know i believe that traveling while gender queer or trans is a whole other topic um, in and of itself that i would love to dig into with maybe some guests someday because i certainly can't talk about that 
So again, this has overlaps in lots of different areas, um, but because we live in the world that we live in, solo female travel is its own category and we are going to dig into it. So just to give you a little bit of a background, I have traveled by myself in Europe and Asia. Uh, just some quick countries. I've been to the UK, Ireland, Czech Republic, Poland, Denmark, Sweden, and others in Europe by myself. And in Asia, I've traveled by myself to Hong Kong, South Korea, Singapore, and Japan. And to some degree, those those are conscious choices. You know, there are countries that I would prefer not to go to by myself. Um, and these are countries that I would love to go to. I would love to go to the Philippines, um, and I plan to someday, definitely. But, you know, a lot of people say, like, well, you shouldn't be by yourself in Manila or something like that, and most flights fly into Manila. So I don't want to say that a country is bad or not worth visiting just because people say, like, maybe it's not the safest for a woman by herself. Um, but I do tend to check out, do a little bit of research before I plan a trip just to make sure that... Um, there are good reviews, good stories from women who've been there before, um, and then maybe avoid the places where crime rates are higher or people have had bad experiences or something like that. And definitely crime can happen anywhere. You know, this <laughs> this is not a blanket statement to say that, like, these countries are safe and these countries are not safe. Um you know, you can have good and bad experiences everywhere, but there are trends and that is what we are going to talk about. I just I just feel so bad, you know, putting certain countries above above others or saying that I wouldn't go to a specific place because I want to go everywhere. And I think that every country has, you know, amazing things to see and experience and all of that. So I'm doing so many caveats here, but I will try not to and just get to the information. Um when I was thinking about this episode, I was trying to remember if there's any place that I had ever felt unsafe. And the only thing that really came to mind was when I was in Russia. Um, I I traveled to St. Petersburg for three days by ferry or like, you know, kind of like a mini cruise, an overnight cruise. Um because there's a visa loophole in Russia. So Russia is one of those countries that, uh, at least for Americans, you can't enter with just like a stamp in your passport. You have to um, prepare a visa ahead of time unless you enter by sea. <laughs> so tour companies have capitalized on this and they run tours leaving mostly from Finland. So you get on the boat in Finland um, you travel overnight to St. Petersburg, and then you have 72 hours to be in St. Petersburg with no visa. Um, and I was like, yes, I want to do that. So <laughs> I did that. Um, so I was just like a little bit on edge the whole time because another caveat of that law is that you're supposed to be with an organized tour group the whole time. Um but most of them don't do that. They just give you the paperwork to say that you're part of this tour, but you're not actually like with a tour the whole time. So I was like a little bit nervous the whole time, sort of, you know, keeping an eye out more so than I usually would. Um, I'm just trying really not to stand out or anything like that. But one of the things that was happening in St. Petersburg at that time uh, was during the summer. So Russia, or I guess part of Russia, because Russia is enormous, is so far north that, you know, the sun only sets for a couple hours during the summer. So they have this period called white nights um, where it's, you know, there's daylight until midnight or 1 a.m. or something like that. And then because St. Petersburg has so many rivers and canals 
at two o'clock in the morning, they raise all of the bridges that go over these canals. Um, and that's so like shipping can go through. <laughs> it's for a real purpose, but it's been turned into this like cultural and tourist event where when all of these drawbridges go up, um, it's like a big party at two o'clock in the morning. And so I really wanted to see it. Um, and then, you know, before all the shipping boats go through, the first boats that go through are the, uh, the, what do you call them, like pleasure boats or, you know, people on tours or, or things like that. So it's this big party. I really wanted to see it, but it meant like walking across St. Petersburg at, you know, 1, one thirty in the morning. And yeah, I think that was the only time. I mean, like absolutely nothing happened. It was totally safe. But that was one of the few times where I've just been thinking like, this is not a good idea. This is not safe. I should not be doing this. What am I doing? Um, so I just made sure to stick close to all of the families <laughs> that were heading in the same direction, um, which is another tip that we'll get to later is like stick close to people with children, but not creepily close because you don't want to be the one that they're worried about also. Um, so that was the only time I could ever think of where I felt like, eh, maybe I've put myself in a not so great situation, but ultimately it was just me being way overcautious and, and everything was fine. Okay, so like I said, some of the benefits of solo travel for me is that self-confidence, that capability, um, doing only what you want when you want to do it. And also, this is huge for me because I'm a major introvert, <laughs> um, developing this level of comfort with yourself and especially eating by yourself because you want to experience all of the you know, the food that the country has to offer. So it's not like you're going to be taking food back to your hotel or hostel, probably, at least not most of the time. You're going to be, you know, going out to eat to some degree, whether it's food stalls or restaurants or whatever. Um, so you get really comfortable eating by yourself. And I think that's a huge life skill. I know I've posted about it before. I've talked to people and, you know, they're surprised that I like doing that. I'm comfortable doing that. Like, yeah, it's great. I mean, why would I miss out on fantastic food just because I'm by myself? So I think that's a huge skill that that I hope everyone develops. Um, another thing that is both a, a pro and a con is that you're really approachable when you're by yourself. So that means that often I've met some super cool people who I probably wouldn't have talked to otherwise because I was by myself when I saw they were by themselves or they came over to talk to me or something like that. And, you know, I've made some really good friends and, and sometimes you end up spending the day together or traveling a little bit together or something like that. And that's really fun. Um, of course, as any woman knows, the flip side to being really approachable is that often just lots of not even necessarily creeps, although <laughs> that's certainly true as well, but just people come over to talk to you and you're like, I don't want to talk to you, leave me alone. So that happens also a lot when you're by yourself. So before we get into the specific tips, let's talk a little bit about the countries because I know that's what everyone wants to hear about. Um, that's what fuels the wanderlust is talking about these countries. Now, I said I would try to stop caveating everything I say, but it's impossible to compile a single list. There's no single list of like these countries are the safest because it depends what your criteria are. Criteria is plural. Yes, what your criteria are. Um, and it depends what your own comfort level is with traveling by yourself. Um, and also I tried to look at 
different types of sources like personal travel blogs versus um, companies or magazines or things like that. And of course, with personal travel blogs, you're getting someone's actual experience, which is, I think, always the most valuable. I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast. But it also means that you're only getting information about where that person has been. Um, So you may be missing some really great, really safe countries that they just you know, happen to have not been to. Um, whereas with the bigger companies, you're getting more data-driven stuff, which, uh, you know, data is fantastic, but it doesn't take into account actual experiences on the ground. Um, so again, you know, there's pros and cons to any list, but there are countries that come up very often in most people's um lists of safest countries to travel to. So the first one we're going to start with comes from a personal travel blog from The Blonde Abroad. Um, You know, she's a big name in the travel blogger industry. And her article or her blog post is called The 10 Safest Destinations for Solo Female Travel. But she doesn't say what she you know, what criteria she used to compile this list and the descriptions of each place talk about why you should go there, what's great to see, but nothing about what makes it safe. So I'm assuming this is from her own experience, but I don't know why she included specifically these countries. Uh, But her list is Iceland, Switzerland, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, French Polynesia, Ireland, Namibia, and Amsterdam slash the Netherlands. So we will see a couple of these countries pop up more than once, but that is our first list. Uh, The next one comes from Forbes, so a much bigger organization. And Forbes sourced this from Budget Direct Travel Insurance, and they used Instagram tags and geolocation data for the most popular places for solo female travel. So again, this is a bigger study, but it's coming from actual travel information. And they have London, they did it by city. Um, not by country. So they have London, New York City, Paris, Singapore, Rome, Barcelona, Los Angeles, Dubai. Oh, and this one I looked up the pronunciation, but now I don't remember. Gianyar? I think it's Gianyar or Gianyar. (laughs) Indonesia and Bangkok, Thailand. So again, that is the list from Forbes. And I'm just quickly looking. I don't see any overlap yet. Um, And then our next one is from Travel and Leisure. They used the Global Peace Index, the Global Gender Gap Ranking, and crime rates to some degree. Um, So they're not ranking by one thing specifically. They're just using sort of all of these numbers to put together a general list. And they also talk about things like the walkability of this city or the ease of public transport. Um, For Seattle, which is on this list, (laughs) they talk about how As the home of Starbucks, it's totally normal to see people sitting drinking a cup of coffee by themselves. So, you know, a solo woman in Seattle drinking coffee is not going to stand out at all. So from travel and leisure, we have Iceland again, Barcelona, Seattle, Munich, Germany, Dubrovnik, Croatia, Austin, Texas, USA, Salzburg, Austria, Taipei, Taiwan. Uh, For Taipei, they specifically mention the low crime rate and the specially marked safe waiting zones on the subway platforms for women, all of which are monitored by CCTV, which is totally true. That exists and I use them, (laughs) but I do think it's funny that they pointed that out. Um, After Taipei is Copenhagen, Denmark, Melbourne, Australia, Stockholm, Sweden, and Okinawa, Japan. 
Uh, so I've actually been to several of the places on this list, and I agree that all of these would, or you know, the ones I've been to, um, I have felt very safe in all of them, very comfortable, so I think that's a good list as well. And like I said, you can see some overlap with Iceland, uh, Barcelona, some of the other places that were mentioned. And our last one comes from worldpackers.com, and they used crime rates and the Global Peace Index to put this together. They have Finland, Canada, New Zealand, Uruguay, Switzerland, Belgium, Austria, Iceland, Japan, and Chile. So again, you see Iceland, Austria, New Zealand, um, was it Switzerland? But several of these came up more than once. So again, there's no one list, but there are definitely trends that you can look at um, to see where you might be comfortable going. So once you have your destination in mind, what do you need to be aware of? Um, a lot of these women will recognize as unfortunately just regular life advice for living in any place, like in a city or something. Um, and a lot of these can apply to men or anyone traveling. But generally, these are things that I would recommend women be aware of and prepared for. And I've also, you know, sourced different um recommendations online and everything. So I've tried to put together a real comprehensive um, just reminders and checklist and things like that, starting at the very beginning when you are packing. Do not overpack. Avoid overpacking. You want to have enough, certainly, but I think we all tend to bring a little too much. And this is especially important because you're going to have to deal with your luggage all by yourself. Um, so you don't want to be struggling to carry something or pull something or whatever it is. Um, I've definitely been in that situation. I've always made it work, but it's just, it's not worth the frustration and the sore neck and arms and all of that. So try to pack light, although you do want to cover your bases. Um, this one is very specific. So the State Department, the U.S. State Department, this is for Americans, um, has what's called the STEP program. It stands for Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. And basically, you can just tell them, I'm going to be in this place from this date to this date. And I, I think that means that they would come get you in like a, na a natural disaster or emergency or something like that. It's basically just giving like an official notice beyond your friends and family um, that you're going to be in this place and your country is aware of that. So I'm, I'm not necessarily great about doing that for like small trips, but definitely if I'm going to be on a long trip or I'm moving to a new country, I always update my information with the State Department. And then, like I said, make sure your family and friends have your general itinerary, um, you know, however much you plan that ahead of time. And if you can, make a plan to check in with someone on a regular basis, whether that's like every day, every other day or whatever it is for you. For me, it just meant, means that I send my mom a WhatsApp message um, every evening when I'm back in my hostel so she knows that like I'm in for the day and I'm safe. Um, you know, maybe it's overkill, but it makes her feel better and I don't mind doing it. It's very easy. So that's just our process. And then when you are booking your flight and flying, you want to pay attention to what time the flight arrives. Unfortunately, a lot of the cheapest flights are the red eyes or the ones that get in at like two o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. Um, that's not something that I am comfortable doing when I'm by myself. I don't want to be navigating a new city in the middle of the night. Um, so I will try to find one that arrives like mid-morning, afternoon, early evening, 
Um, And like I said, unfortunately, that often means paying a little bit more, which is a bummer that you're paying for safety, but that's something that I do pay attention to when I'm booking the flight. And also something that I definitely do is planning ahead of time how to get from the airport to your hotel or your hostel. Usually this just means you're saving yourself a headache because you don't have to figure it out on the spot, but it also means that if you do arrive at a not so great time or something, um, you already have that plan in place. You don't have to try to figure it out on the spot or risk ending up somewhere you didn't intend to or paying an exorbitant cab fee to get across the city or something like that. Um So just look that up ahead of time and see whether you're going to be taking the subway or a bus or like a shuttle or whatever it is. And you should, this is something I'm not great about, but try to have the local currency ahead of time if you can. Um, I always just use airport ATMs because they're always there. (laughs) That can get you into trouble though if your debit card just like doesn't work for whatever reason. And I have been in that situation before. Luckily, I always try to have two debit cards with me um, for my U.S. bank account and my foreign bank account. And always at least one of them has worked, which has been good, but sometimes they don't. You also want to let your bank know that you're going to be traveling so that they don't lock your card. That's another huge thing. Um, So again, airport ATMs are fantastic. I've never dealt with currency exchange counters except for when I'm going back and I need to change the leftover money that I have. And ATMs do usually charge a fee of a couple dollars, but currency converters, in my experience, charge more and they're just more of a hassle. So I prefer the ATMs. But if you can have that local cash on hand when you arrive, that is definitely best. And then when you're planning your accommodation where you're going to stay, make sure that you at least have that first night booked so you have somewhere to go. Um, I usually book the whole time I'm gonna be in one city. Um, If I'm doing like a multi-leg trip where I'm gonna be traveling to different places, I'll book like one leg at a time and then I'll go to the next place and book, you know, one step ahead of myself. Um, But at the very least, you want to know where you're going for that first night, definitely. And then planning out what kind of place you're going to stay in. We're gonna, you know, spend at least an episode, maybe several episodes in the future talking about different kinds of places you can stay when you're traveling from, you know, hotels to hostels to couch surfing. And I will say I've never couch surfed before, but I would certainly never do it when I'm traveling by myself. Um, I think it's a great program. Like I said, I've never tried it, but it's not something I would do traveling by myself. I tend to stick to hostels. I've been sort of wondering like, well, I'm 30 now, maybe maybe I should stop that hostel life, but they're really great and, you know, they're usually cheaper than hotels and um, I, I do try to make sure that I stay in the ones that have some degree of privacy for your bed, you know, like they have the curtain or the capsule or whatever it is. But that's just my own preference for where I'm staying. But in terms of like the safety, I do make sure that I stay in places that are fairly centrally located um, and that get good ratings for safety and security and cleanliness and all of that kind of stuff as well. Uh, But it's up to you whether you want to do the hostel thing or the hotel thing or whatever that is. Um, Don't share where you're staying. Again, that's just good woman advice in general. Don't tell people. Um, where you're staying. 
but do try to save your reservation info offline in case you cannot connect to Wi-Fi or data when you arrive in the country. You want to have that saved somewhere where you can always access it. And if you can, have the address written down in the local language in case you need to show it to a cab driver or ask someone for directions. And that's something that the person at the hostel or the hotel can almost definitely help you with. Okay, now for being out and about in the new city or the new country. I usually do a quick Google search for local customs uh, surrounding clothing. You know, do women generally dress more modestly or conservatively in this country, or is it more like upscale? Are you going to look out of place if you wear jeans or shorts and flip-flops? Although, side note, don't wear flip-flops because you're going to be walking a lot, so you don't want to be in flip-flops. Um... The thing that comes to mind for me with this was when I was in Turkey. Uh, I was actually traveling with a few friends in that case, so I wasn't by myself. And, you know, the the other girl that was on the trip and I, we made sure to uh, bring lots of pants and long dresses and one-piece swimsuits and things like that. We were very aware of what sort of the local customs regarding Um, clothing or modesty were in the country but by the last day that I was there it had been like two weeks and I was just so fed up of wearing pants and completely covering up in this you know really hot climate um, that I decided to wear shorts and it wasn't a big deal at all like I said I was also with other people um But that was a situation where I just felt uncomfortable because I knew that I was breaking the norms. Even if no one said anything, I didn't notice anyone like staring or pointing. I just felt that I stood out in a way that I was not comfortable with. So yeah, you definitely want to be aware of what is generally accepted or normal in the place where you're going and, you know, try to cater to that to whatever degree you feel is necessary. And again, I'm saying all this stuff, making it sound like you need to do extensive research and completely curate your your luggage, what you bring and everything and make sure you don't stand out. No, these are all just like general advice to keep in mind. You don't need to go super hardcore about things like that. Okay, moving on. So when you meet people... um, Again, this varies depending on if they're fellow travelers, if you really connect or something. But if you're just chatting with someone or someone comes up and tries to talk to you, tell them that you're meeting a friend. You're on your way to meet your friend. Um, Again, that's just regular life advice for women, unfortunately. But on that note, you can make friends. Make friends with fellow travelers, people you meet in the hostel or, you know, wherever. I think that's great. Like I said, I do love traveling by myself, but... I've, you know, been on trips where I've I've met fellow travelers and we've spent the day together or the afternoon um, or gone to a, you know, a nearby destination together. And that's always really fun. It's nice to sort of break what can sometimes be the monotony of being by yourself and also know that, you know, you're not you're not stuck with anyone for the the entirety of your time. But it's nice to spend a little bit of time and meet someone new, of course. And then if you search for something like advice for solo female travelers online, you're going to find lots of really specific and kind of wacky advice like roll your cash up and keep it in a chapstick tube or a tampon applicator because no one's going to try to steal your tampon. Um, I've never done anything that extreme. I always just make sure that I'm like very aware of my purse or my bag, especially in crowded areas. 
Um, but I've never worn like a money belt or anything like that under my clothes. I tend to just, you know, go about my normal life, do what I normally do, but in another country. I mean, if you're in a place that is like very, very, very prone to pickpocketing or, you know, is not safe or something, those could be good tips, but I've never done anything like that. In general, though, you know, going back to the clothes thing, you don't want to stand out in a huge way. So like, no flashy or expensive jewelry. Um, you know, walk confidently. That, <laughs> that's just great advice in general. Uh, be confident in yourself. Look like you know where you're going, even if you're, you know, totally lost. <laughs> um, and then familiarize yourself, if you can, ahead of time with common scams in that city. Like I said, is it really prone to pickpocketing? Or, you know, are the taxi drivers a little shady? Or are there like street magic scams that you need to watch out for or something like that? Just different things are more prevalent in different cities. So just be prepared and so you don't fall for the, you know, for the scams. Um, Walking tours. This is something I highly recommend. I love walking tours, especially free walking tours. This is something I usually do like the first day that I'm in a new city because you get a lot of great information and you see the layout of the city and the guide, you know, they give you tons of great (laughs) advice. But one thing they can also point out is like, oh, this is a really cool area. Oh, maybe don't you know, spend time here after dark or something like that. So they can help you just sort of note um, what different parts of the city are like. And again, like I did in Russia, if you're out after dark, stay near the families because families are probably in areas that are pretty safe and pretty okay. Uh, My last tip for this section is to bring a book or especially a Kindle, not to buzz market or your, you know, your preferred (laughs) ebook reader of choice. Um... Going back to that whole eating alone thing, like that is why I love to always have my Kindle with me when I travel. Um, I love to read in general, but especially like when I'm eating by myself, being able to pull out my book and not, you know, be on my phone the whole time or something like that. So yeah, just always have a book with you for those, you know, those downtimes when you're on public transportation or, you know, whenever you just want to look like you're engaged in something. You don't want people to come up and talk to you, although, of course, they will anyway if they want to. Um, But yeah, a book is always just a great thing to have with you, especially when you're traveling by yourself. All right, so this is something I'm excited about. These are the tips and sort of um, advice from the people that I crowdsourced from. So just like, you know, my, my friends in general who like to travel by themselves, but also fellow Um, bloggers or Instagram travel accounts and what their advice is. So I asked them for the best thing about traveling by yourself. And this actually fell specifically into categories. So a lot of people said meeting people. And I'm just going to read their quotes directly. I meet so many others that maybe I wouldn't if I had gone with a friend. I'm open to meeting other people, locals, other travelers. Being alone means you're more open to meeting new people from around the world. And another thing that almost everyone said, which I already talked about at the beginning of this episode, is the ability to do whatever you want. So here's what they had to say about that. Doing what you want when you want. Not having to check with anyone else about scheduling. Freedom to do anything and be spontaneous. I can plan what I want and don't have to ask others if they're okay with it. The itinerary is up to you. You don't need to compromise with anyone about where to go and what to do. 
And then a few others that were just general. Um, I can totally clear my mind, find myself, and not other roles in life. And then this is my favorite, although I am going to edit it. <laughs> Who I become when it's just me alone and what a courageous bad B I am. Yes, love it. Okay. The other question I asked was, what precautions do you take when you're traveling by yourself? Or, you know, do you have any advice or recommendations? Um, so again, these are these are sort of all over the map. In hostels, stay in female dorms. And this is actually something I forgot to mention. Yes, most hostels will have female-only dorms. Some of them have male-only dorms as well. Um, and this is not a hard and fast rule for me. Like if a hostel looks really great and they don't have female-only dorms, I'll still stay there. It's fine. But when given the choice, I will always choose the female dorm um, just because why not? I mean, you know, not to be very stereotypical here, but you know, the female-only dorms, they usually a little quieter. They usually smell a little nicer. You know, it's just it's just a nicer experience, I think, in my opinion. So female-only dorms. Um, go to solo female travel-friendly countries, which we talked about. Ask hostel staff which areas of the city to avoid. Stay inside after 9 or 10-ish or stay within a few blocks of the hotel. Extra night safety awareness, especially depending on language abilities and how much I stand out. Yeah, didn't talk about this at all, but, you know, <laughs> if you can't communicate at all, maybe late night is not the time to be out by yourself. And how much you stand out, yeah, that's just something to be aware of as well, especially late at night. No law enforcement and emergency numbers ahead of time. Yes, definitely. Always let family know where I am. Yes, we talked about that. Do your research before you go. On the fly can be fun, but with some planning, you can find great hidden gems that you would only know about from blogs, etc. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, absolutely look up what you want to see or things that you could do before you go. Um, anywhere you are, you know, not everything is in one place. Maybe you can like hop a bus to a different city or, you know, something that's a little bit out of the city that you might not have known about if you hadn't um, researched it ahead of time. So for sure. And that's that's the fun part about planning a trip is doing that research to see all the things that you want to do and you want to see and you want to eat. I love that. It's my favorite part about preparing for a trip. So with that, again, I say this about all of our topics, but I could sit here talking about this for hours, but I will spare you since I think we covered everything I wanted to share. I would love to know what your experience traveling by yourself has been like. Um, what sort of precautions do you take? Has it always been a totally seamless experience or have you gotten yourself into situations where you're like, eh, this is not the best? Um, have you avoided traveling by yourself? Is that something that um, we can tackle together. I would love to know. So you can send any of those stories or questions to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at goingoutyourdoor or on Twitter at goingoutyour. And I will talk to you next time on Going Out Your Door. Mm -hmm.